Hi everyone, I'm Daria Wertheim and you've reached Startup for Startup, where today we'll be discussing SaaS Metrics 2.0, meaning the new approach for SaaS Metrics, uh, which ones are not as relevant as before and which ones we should focus more on. Uh, so with me here today to discuss this are Aran Zinman and Rayman, Monday's co-founders and co-CEOs. Hi guys. Hey Daria. And we have a very special guest for the first time, uh, Jason Lemkin, founder of Saster, the world's largest community for business software, and can I say the godfather of SaaS? You can. Yeah. It's so great to be here with uh, two of my favorite, very favorite SaaS founders and one of my very favorite companies. Uh, Monday's like, a, for, especially for those of us to, that sell to SMBs and up. I can't think of a better case study, actually, than studying Monday, how they built their company, what their metrics are like. So it's fun that we're going to talk about metrics today, because this is one of the most metric-oriented companies I study as well and write up on Saster. So I love the 360 here, where uh, the Padawans become the masters, and I get to learn from some of my favorite founders. So thanks for having me. And also, you get to answer questions. I know I get you. To answer questions. Yeah, you're probably used to um, asking them, but this time we want to ask you a few a few questions as well. So, really, really happy to have you here. And today, just in a sentence, I want to say that we'll talk about three key SaaS metrics: uh, ARR, NDR, and CAC. And we'll talk about how we should look at them today in 2023. So, shall we begin? Let's begin. Let's do it. Let's do it. Startup for Startup. Sharing knowledge, experience, and insights from one startup to another. Iran, before we start, uh, I actually wanted you to share why we're doing this episode and why we wanted to do it with Jason. I think there's a, a nice story behind it. Um, so, so this is very exciting for us because uh, I think both Rory and myself define ourselves as uh, SaaS geeks. Um, and uh, when we started our journey uh, back uh, in 2014, um, Saster was one of the only resources on the web that we could learn what SaaS really is. Uh, nobody knew what ARR was, what churn was, net retention, anything that seems so common these days uh, was not obvious. And um, uh, we should give a lot of credit to Jason here because he's done so much for the SaaS community. Um, so much knowledge and expertise, and uh, I remember reading myself, uh, you know, say, "Oh, there's a new article on Saster." <laughs> uh, <laughs> see what Jason has wrote, and um, really, Jason, I want to say thank you. Uh, we met before, and I said it before, but really, I want to use this platform and say thank you, not just for us as Monday, but for the whole SaaS community for your uh, um, value that you created for us. Great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, and and Jason, I wanted to ask you, why is it important? Uh, that we talk about SaaS metrics today in 2023? What changed? Well, you know, I, I actually think the number one thing that has changed over my entire journey in SaaS since 2005 for me, 2014 for Roy and Iran, is efficiency. And in the early days of SaaS, efficiency mattered because there was no capital. We had no choice, right? I don't know how much money Monday was able to raise in the early days, but I can guarantee it wasn't that much, right? No. So <laughs> you were forced to be, like, you didn't have to actually worry about efficiency for the most part because uh, capital was very limited, right? I mean, um, even until 2018, 2019, you'd be lucky to IPO at 800 to a million, a billion dollars. Box IPO'd, it was worth barely a billion. HubSpot was 800 million. 
And so when the, when the values were smaller, you could only raise so much, right, over the whole lifetime of your company. And so we, we had to be efficient without knowing it. But as the capital went up, especially later stages, in the early days, you always have to be efficient. We all got confused. We all got confused. And then when we learned that customers could last decades, at least on paper, I think, uh, I don't know what Monday's NRR is, but I know even for SMBs, it's like 120% or 100. It's jaw-droppingly good. So you can build a spreadsheet and you can say, hey, a Monday customer will last 284 years with this NRR. <laughs> you literally could justify these, these insane investments because, uh, and, and so it warped everything. And then we went into lockdown where all everybody cared about growth, like to an extreme. And then what's crazy is now we're, we're for the first time where both private companies and public companies truly have to prove efficiency. I mean, Salesforce finally got efficient at 20 something billion in revenue. And that means we all get to get to kick off the country. We all get to get much smarter about our metrics, right? Because they really matter again. And it almost all that mattered was revenue for a couple of years and it, it distorted everything. And for founders, it's tough. Um, because if you read advice from newer founders, if you read advice from founders that have only been founders since 2019 or so, which is now like four years, right? I think you often get horrible advice because they went through a period of time where what efficiency meant and what these metrics meant stopped, stopped making sense. And you get, and even Sam Altman from Y Combinator, I mean, obviously wildly successful head of OpenAI and more, he said the other day, a lot of his advice he gave at YC was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. we're, we're at, we have to revisit this and we've got to nail the metrics, which we're talking about. And, and there's a meta question is, will, will we stay in this efficiency era forever, right? Um, or will we, as we sort of, you know, inflation is now down and SaaS probably has bottomed out and is reaccelerating. And will everyone just care about growth, growth, growth again? We don't know, right? That, that's the meta question. But today we're in a world where you have to both grow and be efficient, Right. And yeah. it's a new world in many ways. Right. We never really had to do both. And I think like this is some of the things we can shed light on what is um, uh, good growth and, and misunderstood growth. Because yeah. in the beginning for us, um, when you look at our PL, for example, it was like we, we, we burned money. Okay, we spend a lot of money on marketing and people said that's not sustainable. You're just like throwing money to get uh get leads get company uh, get uh, paying customers but essentially we knew because we saw the data we knew we saw the cohorts you know and that's my maybe my first point and one of the most important ones like i think the data is in the cohorts it's not in the month over month looking at things and we saw that we have cohorts that are maturing that become profitable and but the new ones were always bigger or even significantly bigger. So if you look on the PNL side or on the month by month uh, side, it looks like we're continuously losing money. While when you look on the cohort level, you see like each cohort is like a, a goose that lays a golden egg, right? Like you spend yeah, yeah. money to buy it, but then it gives so much more. So it gave us the confidence, it gave investors the confidence. But the trick is, is to build that view of cohorts that is like, you know, to separate the things. And, and for that, we had to build big brain. It's like a huge effort. Yeah, we'll just say in a sentence that uh, big brain is, is Monday's team that is responsible for measuring uh, every single thing in the company and making sure that we're basing everything we do on data. 
Um, Maybe it's worth mentioning, like the first thing we built BigBrain for was to measure ROI on our marketing spend. Like to know uh, for each dollar we spend, how much time it takes for that dollar to come back to us and then uh, multiply itself. Yeah, I think you said, I think you told me earlier two interesting things on that, which I think are interesting for folks. One is that I think you said you built this data analytics big brain when you still had a single digit number of employees, right? I think you said something yeah. like that. And I think yeah. you also said, and correct me on, on the second one, I think you said you hyper aligned on an eight month CAC, like you tuned the dials and the knobs, you had a, a primarily self-serve motion at the time, right? Or all probably all self-serve. And mm -hmm. so you said, we're gonna, we, we need the data, we're gonna build this data early so that we can be efficient enough to have an eight month CAC, right? Yeah, and I, I, I would emphasize the CAC part to be like a cash on cash return. Cause you can interpret CAC as a lot of things. Like yeah. we wanted to see, uh, the cash spent on performance marketing coming back within uh, less than eight months. Well, and well, I well, let's talk about that because that's super interesting point because people do this very differently. You're, mm -hmm. You had, I, I'm sure once you got going, a majority of your leads were from referrals, word of mouth, some a little limited amount of virality, right? So you didn't mm -hmm. include those in your CAC. The CAC literally had to be digital spend produces digital customer. So in the beginning, actually, we kind of assumed that everything, we should attribute everything to performance marketing. Why? Because we had um, a lot of like um, word of mouth, like you said, but yeah. in new countries, we had zero. Okay. In some sure. countries, we had zero. And then we started doing performance marketing. In the beginning, we had like zero word of mouth around attributed traffic. After two weeks, you started seeing like 20%, 25%, even more like unattributed traffic. So yes. it was very clear to us that it was originated from the performance marketing initially. And so the aggressive, aggressive thing to do was to attribute it to the performance marketing. Right. I don't think it's like true for us today. We have to separate it this scale. But in the beginning, I think it was way more correct and also helpful for our growth. So I, I really want to dive more deep into, into this metric. And I wanted to ask you, Jason, um, you know, Roy gave an example of how CAC today at Monday, we're not looking at it, at it the same as we did um, at the beginning of, of our way. So I wanted to ask you, like, should, should small startups uh, use CAC in a different way um, than, than scale-up companies? How do you see it as an investor? Well, let's step back, and I do want to hear Aron's thought. I, I think these metrics that we've been talking about for, for over a decade, CAC, CLTV, and everything, it's important to understand two things. One, they're absolutely not gap metrics. There is no legal definition for these things, including nor NRR, right? And I don't know how money does it, but I'll tell you, almost all public companies that sell the SMBs like exclude their smallest customers from NRR. There's always an asterisk or a dagger that says, does not mm -hmm. exclude one or two seat deals, does not exclude customers that churn in the first 90 days. That, that's NRR. That's bad enough. But the thing about CAC and CLTV is these are sort of manufactured metrics in some way. Some come from the B2C space where performance marketing has to be really, really, really good, right? But some come from VCs who are trying to decide, and then founders as we scaled, how much money should we burn, right? 
And so for a VC with a large fund or founders going big, right, with a large war chest, a two-year payback, a three-year payback sometimes is fine, right? Um, if you're service now and, and you sign five-year contracts up front, maybe there's no problem with the three-year <laughs> because all the deals are five years. But you can also have pretty good CAC and long CLTV and go bankrupt. This is what yep. I see with kids these days. And I put kids in quotes. You could be 60 or, or a 16-year-old founder. They, they, tell, look, they tell me how great their metrics are. Our CAC is so low, especially with SMBs. Our CLTV and NRR are so high. And, uh, oh, and we're, we're almost out of money. Like, uh, these, they, they can take it, these definitions and miss can take you down a rat hole. And, and so um, even CAC, and I want to, is one of the most fundamental questions for marketing spend is do you include the, the free and the additional ones or just the performance marketing ones? And most marketers in SaaS will never hit their goals if you don't give them credit for the free ones for word of mouth because it's, everything in marketing is expensive. Right, mm -hmm. it's so and AdWord is so expensive. Even YouTube, YouTube ads aren't. I mean, Mondays run a few, as as I understand it, a few YouTube ads. <laughs> and yeah. a, an individual ad is actually cheap, but mass scale is expensive. And so, if you don't give marketers, if you don't let marketers sort of get credit for everything that closes versus their spend, they rarely can even afford to spend anything. So, anyway, I want, that's why these metrics you have you got to measure them. You have to have consistent, but then you have to have a brain and measure them against your net burn. Right or folks oh. will on your team will go off on crazy tangents. They'll go off on crazy tangents. Uh, I have two comments on that um, in terms of CAC. Uh, I think it, you know what Jason said kind of really resonates. I think um, there's a problem in, in like there's a problem with with CAC and LTV that it doesn't measure cash flow. Um, you know sometimes you can spend a lot of money on customers and you can have a reasonable LTV. But that doesn't say how fast you actually get the cash that you spend on marketing. And the way we've measured it as, uh, as a company since day one, we didn't care about uh, you know, like gap uh, return on, on CAC. We cared about actual cash in the bank. So how much we spend, when do we actually spend the money, and how fast we get it from customers in terms of actual collection into our bank. And I think that what made us uh, efficient over time in terms of cash flow. And... I think companies should focus more on adjusting those metrics into actual cash. So that's comment number one. Uh, my, my second comment is that I think the SaaS um, community is now maturing and companies have become more mature. Most of their SNM expense is not spent on acquiring customers. Uh, most of what they spend on is retaining their existing ARR. So if you think about their customer success, customer support, account managers, um, all that expense is to retain customers, while CAC only measures how much it costs to buy a new customer. So I think that sheds just a, a small light into the actual expense that it takes, uh, it costs a company to, to buy and retain a customer. And I think we need to mature into more advanced metrics that actually measure not just the, uh, acquiring a customer, but also how much it costs to maintain a customer. One challenge today with being over-metriced <laughs> in some ways, is what I see across so many SaaS startups that I work with. And it's actually super interesting. For SaaS itself, we have about 200 sponsors. So, so I get to watch what 200 CMOs and VP of field and demand gen are thinking in their brain. And what's happened is, as we've transitioned from the exuberance of 2021 to 2023, marketers in SaaS have become super short-term focused. Super short-term focus. Now, if you're Monday back in the day doing all digital, doing all YouTube AdWords, 
uh, digital placements, that's fine. You actually can measure something in the funnel. And, and what Monday probably converts from free to paid in 60 days or less, or I'm making up. That actually strategy works fine for, for a hyper SMB model, but it, it actually can be destructive in mid-market and enterprise. I mean, Monday's doing bigger deals today, and I bet some of those deals take a year to close, right, from initial mm-hmm. contact to close. And so what's happened is marketers are now being judged on results this month rather than this year. And it is leading to super myopic marketing, right? Only stuff that gets me leads and and even closed revenue this month. And it what it's leading to, and founders should think about this, I've already seen it happen, is pipeline is drying up. Pipeline is drying up for sales teams going, hooray, you, sp- you cut your marketing spend in half and you only allowed instant ROI. But if the sales team has no pipe going into the second half of the year, you're not going to hit your plan, right? So here's where metrics can also take you down the wrong hole. Um, and we've got to find a way in the, in the middle where marketers have some leeway to spend a budget as best they can, right? That's the tension with metrics. You have to measure it, but you also have to trust your team to say, hey, your marketing budget this year is $1 million, $5 million, $15 million, $20 million, and it's stressful, but you have to trust your marketing leadership to do the best job they can with the budget they have. Also, how can you, how can you reflect efforts you're doing on expanding your current user base, like expanding the number of seats of each customer? Like, is, it, is, is CAC serving uh, these efforts or should you use different ones? I would, you know, I'm actually curious if Monday as a case study, if it has a distinct customer marketing budget. This is something I talk about with every marketer. I was talking with a great SMB CMO yesterday, joining a 50 million ARR startup, late, later state startup. And, all, and his number one question to me was, does this startup... Uh, have a customer marketing function, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it actually doesn't at 50 million AR. It only has marketing, direct marketing for new business, right? And mm-hmm. if you don't do customer marketing, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're losing out on a huge amount. Um, but it's a complicated topic. To how much money, how much budget, how much people to allocate to customer marketing? Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, surprise you, uh, Jason. Surprise uh, me. I- we're, we're not doing it almost at all right now. It's like a huge place for us to grow into. But I'll tell you what we do. do. It's a good uh, answer. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, it's an honest one. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what we are doing um, um, in regard to short term, long term, what you talked yeah. about. So we, we were always like a product led growth company. Obviously, in the beginning, we didn't have sales. And I think it made sense to be like, we had to know what each dollar is buying. We gave it like a broad attribution, but like we knew like day later what it's going to bring. Okay. Like, and I'm not talking a month, like day, one day we yeah. gave it and did machine learning to know why, because you want to optimize the campaign. Like optimizing the campaign a week later is like, it means you lost like seven X the money rather than a day later. Yes. And, and so that was the beginning. Uh, but afterwards we added the sales and things have changed dramatically, obviously like uh, people, uh, and it was mostly consulting style, but they have like a quota. Okay. So we can call them sales, but like the approach was like, you already bought the leads were paying customers. And then the sales went in an up motion and kind of helped customers. They just like called them up, helped them, and then they scaled within the organization. So what we saw, and I think in this model, which is like the majority of how we do it today, it's like bottom-up approach. You get to have both in many ways. You get to have like measurable short-term 
uh, return uh, or like results with the marketing effort you make. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, you 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 also think long term with the customer and help them a lot uh, over time. And so you see those returns. And what we we saw and and how we do brand marketing, which we do a lot, which is billboards. We even did one Super Bowl uh, thing, which you can't uh, say it's like short-term ROI leads generation <laughs> tool. Okay, um, I don't, I don't, not sure if we ever going to see that ROI uh, coming back. Measurable, like yeah. we we, we kind of measured, I think, like twenty-five uh, percent out of that spent, like because uh, we track. Uh, what we did was we track uh, people mentioning it on calls and then saying uh, leads being closed and deals being closed and kind of attributed that way. But the point is, is that we, we kind of allocate uh, more or less around like 10, 15% of our budget to doing other stuff because we understand it's important like not short term and, and those kind of thing. And yeah. even within the performance marketing, we have a test budget and we have the team running on various stuff because we want them to be creative. We want them to do other things and, and sometimes figure exactly how to measure them after we do some, some things. Yeah, the cut, if, if nothing else, I think for founders, um, if nothing else, reflect on this customer marketing. It's so interesting that Monday, with its incredible success, is not does not have a customer marketing function. Um, but again, I was just talking yesterday we with do, the we're not new, spending a lot of money on it. <laughs> but here's an interesting met. I track this with SaaS companies, and it's a niche metric, but it's super interesting in terms of long term health, which is the ratio of revenue growth to new customer growth on a percentage basis. So I like to see at least a sort of a two to one ratio. Like if the, if you're growing fifty percent. I like to see you adding at least 25% new customers. If you're growing 50%, you're adding 10% new customer, you're fatiguing your base, aren't you? Um, and yeah. when things are stressful, like they've been the last 12 months, you've seen these ratios get inverted, even in public companies, where the new logos aren't there, and you see much more than uh, you know a two-to-one ratio for revenue um, and new logo, and you're, you're sort of two parts of that one if, if you do see that you're 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 overstressing your base Two, if you think about it existentially your marketing budget should be roughly related to that how much of my revenue am i getting from growth in my base how much am i getting from new customers no one gets it right no one gets it right in sales and no one gets it right in marketing and um but if you could if you can just put a little more of that budget into growth right versus new acquisition ma magic can happen right just a little bit you want and you at least want to make sure you're not stressing your base too much of that has happened the last year yeah i, I totally agree and and i think that um you know uh, companies that have both enterprise and able to acquire new smbs that's um, the holy grail uh, you know those smbs will become the enterprises of the future uh at some point um and and something that was surprising i would say in the last uh, you know, 12 months since uh, the economy changed, is that we actually found that our SMB budget was more f stable than our enterprise uh, segment. Uh, so the SMBs That's uh, NRR, yeah, was actually more stable. Uh, I think a lot of enterprise companies have uh, reduced, uh, you know, stopped hiring or reduced budget, while, you know, SMBs continue to uh, kind of be very stable. So I think that having both really contributes to the um, just reducing the, velo the volatility of the, the business. Yeah, ju just to like emphasize w what you said, like the enterprise growth is still much higher. It's just more stable, the SMBs. 
Yeah. It is interesting. Trying to figure out what's going on with the global economy is confusing. And that SMB, it's interesting because if you look at you know, the, the U.S. in particular, we've, we've got 3% unemployment, right? And still a pretty profoundly, strongly growing economy, yet massive stress at the CIO level and in the enterprise, right? Um, and restaurants and small businesses, you know, and, and many of them, auto repair shops, they're, they're at maximum capacity. They should be buying more software than ever, right? Um, and yet enterprises are all cutting the number of vendors, uh, trying to hold the line on budget. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange world. It is interesting that you see that stability for SMBs. I think we should be seeing it, but we're not seeing it across all companies, right? We're not seeing it across all companies. Okay, I want to move on to the next metric because we do yes. have a lot to cover. And, and I want to talk about uh, ARR, which okay. will, which kind of started out as a as a well defined metric, you know, and and then it became something pretty fluid between companies. So I, I wanted to hear Jason your perspective on, you know, should all companies should all SaaS companies measure ARR? What changed uh, since we started using it? Well, look, I think the most I think I think we could probably all agree that. And this happens, this has happened even with terms like cloud or SaaS. It's gotten corrupted over the years, right? And so ARR used to stand for annualized recurring revenue. Um, and then fintech exploded. And, uh, and, and so they all wanted to claim they had ARR, even if a lot of fintech revenue is not recurring, right? Not all Stripe payments are recurring. Um, bank, banking as a service is not recurring, but they still all claim they had ARR, right? So we had that issue. And then it, it wasn't... It, nowhere in that ARR was the word SaaS or software, but it should have been. Because the other thing that happened is hybrid models, models that are services and software, models that are hardware and software, all started to claim it was ARR, right? And um, I wrote up today on the Saster blog, if folks want to look, Matterport. I don't know if you ever use Matterport. It's like that cool 3D software where you can walk through houses and buildings. It's like super cool, but half their revenue is from services and cameras, so their gross margins are in the 40s. Right, I think Monday approaches eighty. Right, or you know, there's 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 some loose definitions of gross margin, but that's dramatically different margins than Monday, which is a software company in eighty Matterport, which is super cool. Right, I mean, that's software is hard enough to build. Imagine adding cameras and three D. That's harder than software. But as a, as a the, the the margins are in the forties, and for a while it didn't seem to matter. Twilio was valued the same multiple as a pure play software company, even with lower multiples. Others were. Um, and, and now we're in this world where in this new world today, there is a large discount if your gross margins are lower, right? Mm -hmm. And VCs got sense. drunk and VCs funded all revenue the same, right? And there's many, there's many, I would, I'm, I'm going to guess that the most unicorns that go bankrupt in, in SaaS are folks that are hybrid models, that are services, that are other things, or that are non-recurring revenue, right? If you're better.com and you sold mortgages, at the peak, and now there's no mortgages because in the U.S. it's seven percent. That was never SaaS, right? It was never ARR. So my rambly point is now you've just you are who you are. Matterport isn't going to stop doing 3D tours or stop having cameras, but you have to, and and they're very honest about it in their public filings. You have to be religious as a founder. Segment your business. This is software. This is services. This is payments, right? Especially payments, and be honest about the margins because just like. CAC and CLTV can kill you. Low margins can kill you. Like there's so many SaaS, pseudo SaaS companies that have much lower margins than 70%. And, 
as as religious as Monday was in the early days, right? With it, you have to be even more instrumented and careful as you're when you have real costs, right? When your gross margins are below sixty, mm-hmm. um, you have to be super careful. And people got sloppy; they got sloppy. Yeah, I, I think this is a great point. I think um, my analysis of what happened was that um, you know people founders have noticed that you get a great multiple for ARR. Uh, yeah. as a SaaS company, because it comes with all the benefits, stability, uh, revenue growth, uh, and so on. So everything was marketed and packaged as ARR, consumption and usage. But there's a huge difference because consumption changes. You know, suddenly it's, it's the holidays and you get more server load. Suddenly um, you get less billings. And, and the point about ARR, it should be stable. Uh, it shouldn't be uh, based on any time of year. It shouldn't be based on usage. Um, and I think um, that was unfortunate. And I think even for SaaS companies, there's so much nuance. Do you include discounts or don't? Uh, yeah. If you have uh, uh, upgrading and renewal, is it the ARR or do you not include it? There's so much nuance. Uh, and maybe going forward as the industry matures, um, there might be like gap rules for uh, well, what is actually ARR. Yeah. At least realize that if you're not pure software, you're playing by a tougher set of rules nowadays, right? And as Iran said, it got masked in the boom. Everything got called ARR, and no one looked under the hood. No one cared if the top line growth was there. No one cared. Yeah. And, and, um, and the funny thing is, once you have ARR, you also have NDR. So if it's ARR based yeah. on consumption, suddenly you have NDR of 180, 200%, and it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, my rule is if your re- if your ARR ever goes down, it's not ARR. <laughs> ARR may grow, may, may grow slowly or more or more quickly, but when you see a startup where the ARR has gone up and down, I'm like, okay, I, I got to dig in here because whatever it is, it ain't it ain't ARR, right? It just doesn't it just doesn't happen that way. <laughs> yeah, it should be stable. That's the point. Uh, but we're all we're, we all we are the models are evolving, right? And for example, you know, Bill.com as an SMB hero was a pretty good company before it had payments when it IPO'd. Now it's an epic company at 15 billion, but the majority of its revenue is actually from high margin payments, not low margin, right? It was a billion dollar company to 15 by adding payments. Shopify margins aren't perfect, but the majority of Shopify's revenues are payments, right? If Shopify was just a SaaS company, it would be a fraction of the Shopify we know. So there's all these hybrid models that are going to happen. Um, it's just, we've got to be more honest as founders about what is ARR and segmented. And I'll be direct. Um, the, the I would say the the two worst investments I've made, and I haven't made very many bad investments, but as time went on, I made more bad investments, not less, because we kind of let let the bar expanded the box. Those were folks that claimed stuff was ARR that wasn't. They saw either massive churn or issues with their burn rate or other things, and all. And I call it pseudo ARR, right? All this, these problems are coming home to roost. So if it's you, just be hyper aware and honest and transparent about what your sources and quality of revenue are, because you may fool a few people in the early days, right? But it will bite you later. You can't hide from low gross margins. You can't hide from these issues. So too much, too many games. There's, there's every VC has a Theranos or two in their portfolio or an FTX. It's not just FTX. They're all over the place. And one of the great frauds was manipulating ARR in 2021. There are a ton of startups that lied about their ARR. I got to follow up on this, Jason. Uh, yeah. What about the second, the, the other side of the spectrum? What about companies that might sign a contract for four or five years? When, yeah. when does ARR become perpetual license? Uh, um. Well, in, in what, 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 what's the question behind the question? Everyone would love 
in an ideal world, if, if Monday could close a customer in 24 hours that would do a five-year contract, you'd probably take it, right? There's obviously a trade-off between um, time and, and long contracts. Sure. I'm yeah. not sure because I'll tell you what, you become blind to what the customer wants. Well, you do. It has a downside, right? You become less customer centric when you can yeah. phone it in, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I think one thing that um, the SaaS industry has created is alignment between the customer and, and the software company. So the customer can always kind of make a decision to leave the platform and you keep improving it as you want to retain the customers. And let's say you in hyper growth and sign a, a lot of revenue into two or three year contract, you know, you might find out in three years that you have a huge churn wave coming up yes. that you didn't predict. Well, two thoughts on that. First of all, years ago, in the earlier days of Saster, we did an event at Cornerstone On Demand's uh, headquarters uh, in Santa Monica, and the CEO was there at the time. And he said something at the time I thought was crazy, but I, I know you guys will actually agree with this, which is I forced my team to only do one year deals. And Cornerstone was more enterprise. It's enterprise learning management system. And you could easily work your way to a three-year deal for an enterprise purchase like Cornerstone On Demand. He's like, no, it kept us honest. It made sure we didn't do terrible deals, junk deals. We were honest. I did not want even two-year deals. And, that, and I, 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 I was much closer to being a uh, SaaS founder than I am today. I thought, hey, that's, that's almost dumb. I didn't say it that way. I said, that's great. But he's right, right? He's right. And the other thing I'll say, Aron, I'm going to challenge you. I think that in a good way, I think companies like Monday and Shopify and folks like that are constantly challenged, right? Because you can leave anytime, right? Um, but I will say across the spectrum of SaaS companies, I see the opposite. I see much worse behavior the last year and a half. I see threats constantly from customer success teams threatening folks to leave. Um, I, I wrote this up. I will not name, I never name names, but a leading SaaS company that is SMB sent us a bill where they quintupled our annual bill and told us we had to pay for four years up front. So four times five is 20. Wow. They sent us a 20x bill. Um, and this is a leading public company where growth, but growth has slowed a lot, right? Monday's growth is, I mean, maybe it's slowed a little bit. It's pretty good. Okay. But uh, folks have been under a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And I, there's a lot of shenanigans. A lot of um, a lot of borderline unethical ways price increases have been done because look, you got to be not being non-transparent, hiding things because if you own the customer structured data, it's hard to leave. It's hard. Monday's a CRM and many other tools. Sure, you can leave. There's a million other tools, but how do can I really export all of my data and immediately get it fully structured in a competitor? I'm not so sure, right? Maybe you can tell me, right? So there's always some data lock, right? And I've actually seen worse behavior behavior I've never seen in the last year as growth is slow. Just pressure on the like we talked about too much pressure on the base when the top when the new the new logos aren't growing um it's a good point on retention or stickiness uh, yeah we actually since day one aimed that monday will be at the core of operation of of every team okay yeah. like we didn't want to be the ones who get chucked out you know that's why you see the stability now with smbs yeah. you know because they rely on us more they consolidate on us because they run their operations so i think we're super sticky in some areas but Regardless of that, when the economic crisis happened, like we, we, we kind of took the opposite approach. We said we want to be a great partner for our customers. We kind of like took the approach of like extending their ability to pay and a lot of other things towards customers rather than doing the reverse yeah. um, in, in many ways. Uh, and so like I think that's like a more of a long term decision and I think it pays off once you think perpetual you think 
uh, recurring, you know, and you don't think short term because like, you know, every quarter is going to end like two years ahead. It's going to reach us. Yes. <laughs> so we, we need to think like strategically with every customer. Yeah, we need a metric in 2023 that we're talking about metrics. We need a metric that only founders can own. And um, it's customer centricity. We need to know how customer centric the company is because you can brute force, you can brute force high NRR with longer term deals. You can brute force NRR if you threaten customers when they leave with an inability to get their data. You can, you can brute force NRR by having out of bound price increases, 30 or 40% a year. One, we're, one vendor we have, we're their largest customer. They raised prices on us 40% a year and didn't add a feature last year. I asked them why they did it. Um, and they said, because we can, we need to, we need the revenue. I'm like, that's not my problem. Like I'm trying to learn, I'm Sastra. I'm like, that's a very honest answer and I do appreciate it, but you haven't earned that business. What You didn't ship a single feature that I've used in the last year. We've asked for like a mm -hmm. hundred. We're your single largest customer, we've gotten none and you raised my prices 40%. Um, and so there's so much pressure to do these things. And, and if the CEOs don't monitor, make sure that your customer centricity isn't staying high, bad behavior can slip in when there's growth pressure, right? Yeah. When, there, when there's growth pressure. Um, I can share our metric, like our yeah. top line metric. And the one we kind of like, I think after like a few years, uh, we, we kind of went to that from new paying customers to a uh, web, weekly active paying people. Yeah. Um, so we cared, like we said, we don't want to learn about a customer problem when they churn or not. Like we don't want to see the revenue because that's too late. We want to see them churn when they use us less. We want yes. them to use us more and more. And we actually uh, measure that, but it's a top line metric. It's really hard to move on an A-B test. So like we had to find proxies and a lot of other metrics to kind of help improve that. And it's it's still like that today. Like uh, we, we measure activity. Maybe yeah. one last question before we move into to, to the next metric. Jason, you, you said you talked about customer centricity and you know using other metrics to support um, ARR. Do you think it should become a standard for public companies, you know, to to put it in their F1 to like what should they do to reflect this customer centricity to 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 reflect? I don't know. Their you know, you know, for years, people have been saying the problem with going public is it forces you to be too short term, right? And the reality is there's truth to that, right? The reality is, yeah, Jeff Bezos convinced the world you can go long on investing, right, on the top line. But even there, you still have met, he still had to hit, he still had to hit the metrics, right? And so this is the existential challenge for founders. And I think it gets harder as you approach and then become public is staying super customer centric because, you know, you'll get, whether you're, bootstrap venture back to public, the later stage you get, the more pressure you're going to get to hit every quarter and every month. And with startups, for example, if you're venture backed, let's say you just raised a round, you've got five years of revenue, you have a soft quarter, the VCs are going to be like, okay, buck up, Roy and Ron. Like, <laughs> things are pretty good. You know, everyone has a rough quarter. Uh, you know, it happens to you as a public company, it's a, it's, a, it's a sucker punch. Even though you tell the team to be calm, it's just a quarter. It, it, everyone feels it. So this is the, I think... I think this is what we've learned the last year and a half in SaaS when we went into a tougher, I'm not going to call it a downturn because buying's up. Buying is not down, buying is up. 
but as it's tougher is founders just have to own this. And I don't know that it's a public company metric, but it's the secret founder metric, whether it's WAP or WAD or whatever you use, but it's too easy to let customer happiness just drop. It's too, e it's too easy. It, it just, because it takes some stress out of the system in the short term, right? Um, the classic one from is always when, for example, uh, someone in, in, on the revenue side wants to shorten the free trial. This is the classic one from, from, from the beginning of the internet, right? Someone comes in and they're like, oh, we have a 30-day free trial. Like, I'm going to switch this to 14 because, you know, we have too many free riders and we'll convert quickly. <laughs> and there's always either some data or a spreadsheet that says that's a good idea. And sometimes the startup just says, say, pause. Maybe we need a 60-day free trial. Maybe, I mean, I don't know what Monday is or how, all of it. We, I should. We, we've done the same thing uh, from 30 to 14. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you did the classic 30 to 14. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, why? <laughs> so we'll have a shorter uh, input cycle towards uh, media buying. Like, you know, we were really religious right. about. But is, are you sure metrics. it's better for the customers that it's shorter? Uh, are you sure I'm it's better sure. for the customers? It, 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 didn't, it didn't change uh, the metrics. Like really didn't change the metrics. But so are you sure? Look, Monday is, it's hard to argue with Monday because it's so successful, but are you sure it's better? Right, because this is where the metrics better. can confuse you, talking about metrics, right? Back in the day, you know, yeah. we were not testing it every day, but like back then we did a very long uh, term A-B test and so yeah. it didn't really move the metrics towards paying customers. Um, I, I think so, it depends on the product. If it requires longer implementation or uh, like a professional to help you on board, then maybe it makes sense to uh, do like a long trial. But for us, it was very easy to get set up and get value from the beginning. No, so, for sure. Yeah. It's just something founders need. To, I'll give you a different. I'll give you a, diff, a couple personal examples. Back in the day, in the early days of Adobe Sign Echo Sign, where we had a truly viral product, DocuSign, Adobe Sign. These are very viral products. I measured in the early days how long it would take someone that first got a contract to sign to convert to paid. Okay, first they'd have to decide to sign up themselves, then they'd have to try it, then they'd have to do it, then they might need to get three or four exposures in the wild, like marketing, right? It was eight months. It was eight months, okay? Not eight months from someone doing a, a, a search for e-signature or something and finding you and buying, that was 14 days. But the true viral conversion coefficient was real, it was profound, and it was slow. And um, no one, but no one cared except me, right? Eight months is too long, no one cared. And when yeah. we, almost a week after I left, after acquisition, that got ripped out of the product, the whole free thing, the whole free conversion. And it, because it didn't help anyone there, but then over the next three years, there may be a variety of reasons, market share fell by 50%. So these yeah, as founders things are things, compound, yeah. yeah, and I, there was no one left at me, even though the business is doing what 250 million today, there's no one there left to be the champion of the free, the champion of the long cycle, the champion of the meta metric, the champion of the founder metrics, because it always it said to one of the most successful companies on planet Earth in software, "Hey, get rid of this! Like, it's there's no data. It's eight months. It, it's not gonna. We're not gonna make the quarter, right? And um and uh, but it was wrong from the generational perspective, right? We lo lost half the market share. I'll, I'll tell you, like our approach growing up as a company was that we want, like I always believe there is like a lot of ways to do things." Yeah. And like, why not pick the one that we have data or quick data on the path? You know, yes. that's what we aim for all the time. Yes. And so like, arguably there are like hundreds better ways to do it, but we just don't know. And we probably would have known, like yes. it happened to you that if you don't have the data, if it takes you like eight months to get the data and maturity of it, like 
maybe like, I don't know, 10 months, okay? Yes. Then it's very slow to make decisions uh, if you have to iterate on that all the time. And so, like, we kind of opted for the, you know, shorter term. Like, uh, yes. and I, I don't know how to how to do things on such a long term. You know, it's very hard. It's I can't, I mean, Monday is wildly successful, so I can't be critical, but it's just interesting to think. You could always no, be no, more I'm, successful. Monday could... There's no question even any company could be five to 10 more success, more successful. And over a decade, that compounds to an awesome rate, right? That, that mm -hmm. incremental piece. That's almost the, the existential. It's almost fun in a way. It's what Sasser is about is how can you be five to 10% better at everything? Do 10 of those and, uh, you know, you change the course of the trajectory of a company, right? I agree. Yeah. 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 The related one, just um, Daria, maybe if, what I think is super interesting on these metrics that has changed the last few years, going to this point of what do founders need to own, is NRR versus CSAT or NRR versus NPS. And, you know, when we started with Saster, I was kind of anti NPS because it seemed like a big company metric. But then we learned it kind of works, like as a consistent way to measure things. You can use CSAT, you can use NPS, they're not the same. But you can, and you can game them and you can game the question you ask and you can pay, bribe people. But if you do it the <laughs> same way every month and every quarter and you track it over time, you can see trends. If it's better, it's good. And if it's worse, it's bad. What has happened in the last year and a half is it has been abandoned by, by most startups yeah. in favor of maximizing NRR, right? And mm -hmm. as a CEO, you have to know, you have to be the boss as founders of this trade-off of, Again, NRR versus CSAT, you have to get the data. And if your CSAT or, or MPS is declining and your NRR is growing, you've got to jump in because no one in your team is going to jump in. This is something I hadn't seen ever in my history of SaaS, but I see it all over the place now is CSAT, MP, NPS down, but NRR up. This is a reaction to stress. I actually have a question, uh, Jason, uh, yeah. because uh, you know we had a lot of conversation with investors throughout the years about both net retention and gross retention. So yeah. first of all, I would love to know, like, what do you think about both? Like, when you see a company, yes. do you look more on the NDR or gross retention? Like, what um, what are the red flags uh, that you kind of look for, and uh, uh, which one matters more? And what difference between uh, NDR from an uh, enterprise-focused company to an SMB-focused company. And also, Jason, maybe just yeah. in a sentence, uh, explain the difference between NDR and gross retention. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and gross retention is what percent of your revenue or logos are you retaining without upsells, stripping out upsells? Just what, what percent mm -hmm. of your existing base or your existing logos are you retaining, period? Um, and you know when we start when we all started in SaaS, it took us a while to even understand that NRR was this profound metric, right? Um, and it's so profound. Monday selling to SMBs having triple digit NRR is so profound. It's so profound on a spreadsheet, right? And so yeah. it took us uh, all. By, a while by the way, to Jason, uh, I don't want to interrupt, but it's a great point because it's one of the only SaaS metrics that yeah. all SaaS companies report, not ARR, not yeah. CAC. Every, but NRR. almost all SaaS companies are reporting uh, NRR, yeah. Yes. So when SaaS started to take off, we, that we realized that was our holy grail. In fact, the, the first SaaSer post ever was, it, it was called It Compounds, basically. And it was all, because it was magical to folks in 2012 how this worked, right? And, and it went like viral and Aaron Levy reposted it and David Sachs and everyone because it was like an epiphany that now, now I mean, this is as fundamentally basic as it gets. 
And then I remember maybe in 2019, I was talking, I was doing an interview with Kyle Porter, who's CEO at SalesOff, which got bought for two and a half billion. And they had crossed nine figures of revenue and they were sort of early getting ready to go public, right? At hundred million plus hired the CFO. And he's like, the biggest change is everything's about GRR, not NRR now. Now we haven't seen that show up in the public companies, right? But his point, it was, it was an epiphany for me. And I'm like, you're right. At the end of the day, we're, the, the metric everyone's going to talk about is NRR, going to Ron's point. Every public company reports it, but GRR is more important. GRR is more important. If Monday is able to, I don't know what Monday's logo retention is, there's a different way to calculate it. But if you sell the SMBs and you have 90% plus logo retention, you're off the charts good, right? You're off off the charts good. And it it is harder to hide games here. It is harder to hide issues. And it is harder to hide price increases and rip-off deals and things when you tr when you aim for top decile logo retention in GRR. Yeah, well, un unless you right? sign a three-year contract. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we can have to, uh, we have to talk about that. Like, uh, yeah. So I, I would try and say that like gross retention has to be stable. That's important. Yeah. Sta but it's a good insight. Number, it's gotta be stable, at least stable, yeah, right? But the, but the number of it uh, varies. Cause if you're like, uh, I'll give you some examples to cheat. Like one, one, one thing Iran said, if you have like three year contracts. Yeah. So like we saw some companies with like 97% gross retention yes. and they raised money as like crazy valuation and then they crashed. Because they, yes. you know, it was uh, they didn't see the churn. Yes, uh, um, so one way to hide it, like long for term. For sure, and, and almost, you know, Monday would be a great one. Almost, if we had more time, one of the most important things I can say for all of these metrics is you have to segment them. This is what too many founders don't do. You don't segment them, like unless all your com customers are truly homogeneous, the same. Always segment small, medium, and large, or at least small and bigger. Always segment, because there's always at least two to three trends in your base, right? And for GRR, you might see, you know, 75, 85, 95. Like, for example, that's what you could see. ServiceNow approaches 100%, right? Five-year contracts can never leave, right? Their GRR approaches 100. 75% might be pretty darn good for small businesses. In fact, it might even be unachievable for one-person shops, right? Um, but yeah. you got to segment it or you will miss the trends in the base, right? I, I think that's a great point. I think that's, um, you know, SMBs just by the nature of being SMBs are more likely to churn just because going out of business. Uh, but they might have great NDR where enterprises, you know, once you get a software inside an enterprise, even if they're not using it, uh, it's going to take a while before they leave. So um, just by the selling to different sectors and segmenting your customers, you can do different measurements of gross attention and both NDR and get different results. Yeah, I'll give you just one story. There's, there's, a, there's a SaaS company I've, I've worked out, invested in that's coming up on 40 million error. So, so pretty, pretty getting mature, very SMB, um, probably similar to, to Monday. And all the other investors were complaining that their, their NRR was only 90%. Like, you know, you guys, if you don't get to 100, you're just not going to make it, right? And, um, mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, that's right. That's true. And like, I kept telling them, these guys are so smart, but I kept telling them, segment it, segment it, segment it, segment it. And they have a lot of single seat customers, one user, right? And when they finally segmented it and you take out the single user, it was north of a hundred from, from 3k ACV. Like you guys are like 2k, like it's that's, almost impossible to have a hundred percent. And they, exactly they did it. it they went from was. bottom quartile to top quartile by segmenting. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happened to us in one of the rounds. Cause like, yeah, we were at exactly the same thing. It was a 90 
and yeah. we didn't know until we figure out to, to segment it, and then we saw the difference. Yeah, and it's interesting. This company I'm talking about is also one of the best instrumented and analytics, but like you guys, but they just didn't do it right. Just like you did, you 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 got it, you got it, and, and it just I kept breaking like month after month. I'm like. I think your NRR might be better than you think. I, I, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right giving you a market position. Yeah. It just, it doesn't, I don't, not, but okay, okay. And uh, you got to segment and you got to segment how you attack your market. You know, it, it helps with marketing. It helps with, you got to segment your sales team as early as you can and your customer success teams. And folks, actually, I find, and I'm not sure why, but it's interesting, Roy, what you said. I actually find founders and startup and SaaS companies segment later these days than they used to. They, they do it later. They're breaking their sales teams up into small, medium, and large. They're breaking their marketing spend up, their CS teams up later, 30, 40, 50 million. And we used to do, in the old days, we would do this at a couple million in revenue. We'd be like, we have no choice. Like every lead was so precious. The markets were so small that you wanted to, you immediately realized specialization would help. Let's put, let's put Iran on the 5K deals, and Roy on the 3K deals, and Daria on the 10K deals. And we all, but, but now I actually see it happening later and later. Um, but I actually think it always works. It always yeah. works in the metrics and with teams. It all, you always get a boost when you segment your teams and your data, right? You always get a boost. Uh, I, I think uh, uh, another insight that um, I can share is that, uh, you know, companies are always looking to increase their NDR. Yeah. Um, and often the way you think about it is, oh, we need to improve the product. That's always kind of how you think about it. We need to improve the product. And that's obvious. Like, you need to improve the product. But... I think another thing that you should do is to create upsell opportunities because if you don't have upsell opportunities, uh, you won't be able to increase the, the contract price. So, for example, Monday we have you know, is, is seat base. So the more people the company hires, the more seats we have, the more we expand. But we have an, an option to add more layers, more add-ons, more features that we can upsell to customers. So I think that's another way to think about how can we add more value to customers, how yes. can we offer more upsell opportunities. And that's a great way to think about how can we increase our NDR going forward. It is just two thoughts on that. One, going to Iran's point of why every public company reports NRR for founders. As you scale this, as you approach later stage, this is the most important metric to investors. Whether it should be, we could debate it a little bit, right? Obviously, mathematically it is, but you will get incessant questions as you approach 30, 40, 50 million and beyond. It will come, it'll be the number one question both private and public customers will ask as you're in. They have become obsessed with the annuity factor of SaaS. So um, uh, understand it, segmented, uh, obsess about it. And then the related point is if you, there may be an exception or two out there, but from my knowledge, for folks that sell two SMBs, I do not believe anyone got past 100 that is single product, right? And HubSpot's the biggest example. HubSpot was stuck at 85% through 40 or 50 million, and they really never got past 100 until they added CRM and service to the piece. They never, they just had to be multi product going to Ron's point. And we could talk about why. But it's a fact of life, right? It's a, and I don't think Shopify got there without payments. We could d debate whether that's multi-product, but it probably is. But no one gets. So you've got to figure out that strategy. If for no other, re Tam is a big reason. But if for, you'll never get that stickiness without the second, third, fourth, fifth product to add, right? Uh, yeah, yeah I can share. We had a problem with that with yeah. explaining it to investors because we grew too fast. Like, and when you have new cohorts. Okay, that they're not uh, yet mature. It's very it, it obscures everything when you're like uh, cohorts from the new year, kind of obscures the all the rest and everything yeah. kind of like looks weird, like you said. 
And we had to work so hard to show that, even on the graph, like when we did the graph, it looked weird, because like the, all the small cohort looked flat, like physically, when you looked at the graph, they looked yes. flat. Only when you removed the new cords, which were bigger, you, you saw the same image of exponential mm. growth. So it looks like, hey, all these cords are flat. Why are they flat? They're not flat. You just can't see it because the new ones like are three times bigger. So we did an animation in the IPO. We created an animation that we added the layers and everyone saw it's the same thing because everyone, no one understood it's exponential when, when it look, appears like flattish because you're growing so fast. And other companies, when you're not growing as fast, when you're adding the same number of customers over the years, you know, then you have like a, it looks very healthy, like a layer cake uh, that you can compare one to the other. Yeah. Uh, so. And, and, and uh, Jason, I just want to add, uh, I think something you said is really profound, and I want to share my perspective as a founder. Uh, when you start the journey, you, you mentioned that NDR is one of the most important metrics as you grow as a SaaS company for investors. And now I have a deeper understanding of, of why, because I think when you start the journey, especially in the few first years, um, you know, you just focused on acquiring new customers and growing business. But eventually, as you mature as a, as a SaaS company, the majority of your revenue, majority of subscription is actually coming from existing customers, even yeah. to a point where it's 95%, 98% of the revenue is from existing customers. Some of them might be more than a year, some of them might be five-year-old. Uh, so when you reach that point, uh, NDR basically represents your growth rate. If you got 130% NDR, and 95% of your revenue is coming from existing customers, your revenue is going to be about 30%, just the law of nature. Your yes. new customer is going to add to that, but eventually the company will converge into its NDR in terms of growth rate. And yes, you add other engines into the mix. Okay, guys, we have uh, just a few more minutes left, and I want to um, still talk about one more topic, which is... One major gap that I think we haven't talked about yet, which is how to measure, you know, cash flow and path to profitability. So, Jason, I wanted to hear your take on that. Yeah, maybe how do you optimize for it, I think, uh, because we know how to measure free cash flow. But um, as a SaaS founder, uh, any tips or recommendation? About yeah, let me let me uh, you guys might have even read this post in the early days. Maybe it was after you took off, but. I try to update this every year because I'm shocked at how few founders do this. It's my number one tip. It always works. It always works. You, you have to constantly, every month, do an L4M analysis. Okay, You do not need 20 people in finance or operations or planning to do this. Any founder can do this. Take your financials, and all you need is your top line and your bottom line, how much your revenue grew and how much you burned. You don't need anything else. Average the growth rates of both, the growth rate of your top line and the growth rate of your burn rate for, for the last four months and just roll it forward. Roll it forward 12, 18, 24 months. That should be your real operating plan. Okay, no matter what anybody tells you, no matter what anyone says. And if that says you're gonna run out of money in 12 months, you're gonna run out of money in 12 months. Okay, it doesn't matter what your ops person says or your VC or finance person. The, the accuracy of an L4M model is so high, right? It is so high, even at the earliest stages. It, 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 does it become inaccurate five years out? Potentially, right? But if you're growing 6% the last four months, but you really wanna grow 12, and your, your dumb model for the VC says 12, well, tough, okay? The L4M model says six, 
And if you, every month you say, well, our burn should be 200 K, but Hey, we had these legal expenses and Hey, we did this deal and we did. So yeah, it was 400, 500, 400, but it's going to be 200. Eventually the L4 model um, doesn't care. It doesn't care about what your excuses are. It doesn't care why you missed the month. It doesn't care if the deal slipped a quarter. It doesn't, it just doesn't care. And, um, it, when I, when I invest, when I work with founders, when I do anything, no matter what they say, I just take their financials and roll it into an L4M model. It's always correct. It's always more correct than what they say. And um, what I love to keep you to keep you rigorous is every month on the first of the month, because it should take you like 15 minutes, if you can understand what I'm doing, redo it and either share it to the whole company or share it to the senior team. This is what the numbers say. Okay. I know we want to grow 100% this year, but since last month, it was only 3%. This is how it ripples through our L4M model, right? This is how the burn rate, and you don't even need to know anything. You don't need to know head count, schmed count, CAC, SMAC, CLTV. This L4M model is your best tool as a founder. It's never wrong. And, and you may not like what it says. I find many founders, the first time they do it, they get a little prickly. They're like, no, 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 no. We're going to triple this year, Ron. No, 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 Roy. We're, we're not going to burn that much. But as this L, the L4M model automatically updates it, right? It's just average your last four months of your top line growth and your burn rate and roll it forward. It is better than the most expensive CFA, CPA, CFO, multi-million dollar team. It's better than all of them. <laughs> I bet it even works on Monday today. If I, if I took up your financials, I think I only get quarterly, but if I had the monthlies and I just rolled them forward, um, they'd be pretty darn accurate. <laughs> I think it will work better today than it did when yeah. you... <laughs> yeah, maybe, right. What I, well, I can yeah. tell you from experience is it absolutely works at a million in ARR. Like, it works at half a million in ARR. It always works, right? And, and this four months is just perfect because it gives you that extra month to take out the variability, right? It gives you that extra perfect... It turns out it's the perfect amount, right? Even if you're public, it probably gives you... It straddles a quarter, right? It probably gives you that extra little... Uh, it, it takes a game out of the system, but it, yeah, I, I, it's interesting to work better, but trust me, it just do it, do it now. And if, and if you don't like the conclusions, this is then make the changes. You're going to run out of money. You talked about cash flow. forget about all the other metrics. They don't matter. What matters is how much cash have you been burning the last four months? And mm -hmm. if you don't make any changes, uh, if it's growing, if that, and if that burn rate's growing 3% a month, it's going to keep mm -hmm. growing. This is yeah. the mistake so many founders make. Especially if they de-bootstrap. This is the number one. If, another bit of advice I can give to folks that de-bootstrap. A lot of folks that listen to this may de-bootstrap, right? It's, it, this is not, it's not being venture-backed or not being venture-backed. A lot of folks will either be forced to. Ventures, it's hard to get venture capital. You guys, I mean, you guys had to raise it at three and a half pre. Like, it's hard. And so many folks will wait until 1 million, 2 million, 10 million, 20 million in ARR, right? But the mistake I see again and again is if you folks, if they de-bootstrap post-revenue but pre-scale, is their intuition's wrong and they burn up all the money. Like, okay, they don't get the fancy office. They, they, let, they let Roy and Iran have two more hires instead of one each month, but it's kind of the same. The sales comp plan doesn't go crazy. They're like, my gut is that's fine. And then 12 months later, half the money's gone. <laughs> but if yeah. they did this L4M model, it wouldn't happen. They would see this creeping up on them in real time. So I, I have like a motivational tip that we did yeah. and uh, a lot of people loved it. Uh, we kind of, when we were in, in one room office back in the day, I kind of wrote on an A4 uh, paper and stuck it on the door. Like, do you want to live forever? How much customers do we need to get so we yeah. can uh, uh, live forever and not burn money on the current burn rate we had? So 
it's like the same thing you said. Like I yeah. completely agree, just with the motivational uh, approach to like where where we do need to reach to to meet the goals we set. Just to finish up the point, the the, the advice on the burn rate going to this. The flip side of the L4M model is the biggest danger I see with founders is they get a crap model from their finance team. I see this all the time. It's worst of all, the worst of all mistake is a lot of founders these days wait to hire a VP of finance or director of finance, let alone a CFO. Instead, they hire a director of operations, some smart kid from McKinsey or something like that that's whip smart. And they're like, I don't want, I don't want a, a bean counter. I don't want an account. I want this guy, that, that, that spreadsheet jockey, right? They can do it perfectly. And the problem with the spreadsheet jockey is they manipulate the inputs. Like if Monday.com goes and gives McKinsey $10 million to plan the future of their company, and then uh, uh, Roy and Aran don't like it, McKinsey goes back and just changes the variables. And so these, these director of ops, I see it again and again. And if you peer behind, you know what the model always looks like? In Q1, we'll do 2 million. Q2, we'll do 2 million. Q3, we'll do 4 million. Q4, we'll do 18 million. Like it's, it, they just, they're just manipulating the model. And not only do they blow the top line, but they blow the cash. They blow the cash, and if you and I see too many founders who just trust their director of ops, the the McKinsey kid, and they blow all the money. You've got to do it yourself. Like the models are terrible. That the, they're terrible, and they they put in assumptions that make sense for wildly profitable companies that have a margin for error that startups don't have. They're just they're all terrible. I can tell you all the models. Very few people can can update a dynamic model every month and predict your cash flow. You got to do it right. Um, I know we have to end, so maybe just uh, each one of you, if you have one takeaway that you want uh, founders to take from this conversation, one good tip, Jason, maybe we'll, we'll start with you. I think my, my biggest tip is, um, it is go long. Roy touched on this a little bit. Go and decide how long you want to go. Um, if you have a good, look, look. We're looking at two great co-founders here, okay? Two co-founders is pretty special. It's what I look for. Two, if you have two co-founders, if you have, if you're Roy and Iran or better, then be honest and decide how long you want to commit for. If you're willing to commit for a decade in the beginning and 20 years as you go in, then you'll get through all this stuff, right? And you'll make the right decisions and you'll recruit the right people. If you're willing to commit for one year or two years, which is pretty common, you're gonna have a very different outcome and different path. And I don't mean to be critical of it because 99.9% .9 of people should not commit for 20 years, right? It is uh, no matter what you see on the internet. But but be honest, be self-aware of that to founders. And th that's the, if you have 120% NRR and you have great founders, you can go as long as you want in this world. No one can stop you if you have high NRR and great founders. That's my last one. It's up to you. Now, maybe hard, and I, I'll give you a last tip. The last investment of a batch I made in 2015 has been around for 20 years. Now, I didn't invest 20 years ago, okay? I invested late. It de-bootstrapped. And um, they are now selling for many hundreds of millions of dollars. Not billions, but many hundreds of millions of dollars. They just, too great, they just never quit. They never quit. And there's so many stories like this of founders that, that, that want to do it, and they had higher NRR, and they had times they went through where they were terrible at new acquisition, but that 120% NRR just powers them through. So if you can get to that high NRR and happy customers, my advice is it's up to you as founders. It's up to you if you want to push through the pain, if you want to push through the A4 note on the fridge that Roy left up, if you want to do it, because no one can stop you with great founders and higher NRR. No one can stop you, and... Um, you get to 20, 30, 40 million error in SaaS, and if you're efficient, if you're burning nothing, you will get good M&A offers. 
every every SaaS company I know of that gets to 30, 40 million that is profitable or cash flow neutral, someone wants to buy it because they're going to miss the quarter. <laughs> someone out there, so it may not be Monday, but some public company or company about to go public want, would love an extra 30, 40 million of ARR to bolt onto their company. It's happening left and right today as the, people are thinking about IPOing again. So a rambling answer of high NRR, great co-founders, it's up to you. You, you cannot be stopped if you don't want to be stopped. Yeah, my tip, uh, first of all, I agree with Jason. You know, SaaS compounds and it, it takes time, but once it happens, it's just magic. Uh, so I totally agree with Jason. My, my tip will be um, everything that you want to measure and eventually become good at, start measuring it today and start improving it today. Uh, you want to have great cash flow? Start measuring that, start improving that. You want to improve your NDR? It's not magic. Put somebody there to analyze churn. Put somebody to uh, see what make companies leave. Uh, create new upsell opportunities. You know, it sounds obvious, but it's not. Sometimes you feel like this is your company destiny and you're stuck with it, but it's not. If you start yeah. measuring and work towards improving it, it's just going to happen. Yeah. Um, I'm going to add to what Iran said and say that, like, uh the journey has never been easy for us. <laughs> it looks uh, maybe we're successful, but uh, it was always tough. And like we didn't really have a good NRR in the beginning because it was like very small uh, customers and we kept improving the product all the time. But we looked to Iran's point, we looked at the metric and we saw where the problems were. And we added the sales team. We didn't have that in the beginning. We improved the product. We went after uh, larger customers. So we did everything once we saw where the problems were. And, you know, we were like adamant about improving things all the time. So like, it's not about like nailing it from day one. It's about persisting uh, with the measurement and then it becomes successful and it's it's like never easy <laughs> it's like never easy okay i think uh i think we can end with that so uh right before we'll say goodbye i'll just remind our listeners that if you have any questions or feedback you're welcome to check our website startupforstartup.com where you'll find uh, all of our other content as well and if you want to know every time we have a new episode don't forget to subscribe uh, to our show on your preferred app jason thank you so much again for being here with us true pleasure yes thanks for having me you guys it was great thank you so much and thank you Iran. Thank you for listening. Startup for Startup. Sharing knowledge, experience, and insights from one startup to another.